from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex episode of the day. And on today's RiderFlex podcast, we have Mitch Gordon, the co-founder and CEO of Go Overseas and Verto Education. Mitch, how you doing? Doing well. Happy to be here. You're in Berkeley? It's San Francisco, actually. San Francisco? Okay. Is it, let me guess. It's uh, beautiful weather and, and perfect. <laughs> I think you can see the sun coming out of the windows. Um, and, nice. Uh, yeah. We've, we've got offices in Berkeley and in Portland, Oregon. Um, so I'm not in San Francisco for much longer, but I love this city. Oh, we're about to move to Portland. I do. Yeah. We just opened a new office there for Virtual Education. We're hiring a whole bunch there. So the CEO's got to go up there too. And Portland's a great place. I'm excited to live there actually. It, it really is. Yep. Also a great city for sure. So before we get into the company stuff uh, and all the entrepreneurial things, tell us about Mitch. Let's, let's learn who Mitch is, you know, personally. Tell us about your early childhood, your life growing up. Give us some, give us some of those deep, dark, personal secrets. <laughs> I'll start, I'll start with, with an overview, but if you, uh, if you pull some other stuff out of me, we can always go there. Okay. But I, I think um, I grew up in upstate New York in Albany, actually a nice little, nice little town to grow up in a few hours okay. north of the city. Uh, I'm the oldest of five kids. Oh. So things were a little crazy. A lot wow. Of- okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot running around, vibrant, vibrant family dynamic, uh, challenging at times. We had a lot of animals running around too. Um, Did you live out, in the, live out in the country just a little bit or kind of a rural area? Or? No, no, we were right in Albany, right in the heart of Albany, right in the heart of Albany, New York. All right. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, had a, a, you know uh, it, it, was, it was a good childhood, an interesting childhood. A lot of, when, when you're one of five, Mm. Um, you end up having, I think, to develop a lot of independence because you're not, you know, you're not getting the full attention and there's a lot of chaos going on. But I think as I've looked back myself on a lot of elements of childhood, as I've gotten more reflective, I just turned, I turned 40 last year. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff you go through as a child forms us, I think, more than we ever realize, And we start mm-hmm. getting into that stuff a little bit more. If, if we're willing to do that work, which is hard to do, some interesting stuff comes out that can kind of deepen the life experience. So I've been a little bit on that journey too. Well, if you were the oldest one, then you, that's where you got some of your early leadership skills too, obviously. Right. Funny, we joke around in, in my family a lot. And my youngest sister is 13 years younger than me. Uh, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 41. She's 28. We've joked around a lot of, that we have similar base, but that if she was the oldest and I was the youngest, that I would be more like her and she would be more like me. That the birth, the birth order thing in my family is like pretty stereotypical. From, okay. the, from the oldest to the youngest. So, yeah, I've got some of that in me, for better and worse. So what you, what'd your folks do? My mom's a teacher. Uh, actually, okay. she just retired. Uh, All right. English and health. Um, did you have her for high school? I, I did not. I did not. That would have been interesting. <laughs> she taught in a different school district. Okay. Uh, my dad's an accountant. Uh, he is. Okay. Is he retired too? He's not. I don't know if he'll ever retire. He loves it. He loves to work and loves to work with his clients. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So, so you graduated what? Albany High School? I did, believe it or not. Albany High School. Bit All right. Tumble High School, actually. What's that? What was that? It was a bit of a rough and tumble high school, actually. Oh, oh, oh was it? Okay. All right. <laughs> did you play sports or no? Back. Like, what's that? Did you play any sports? I did. I wrestled and played baseball. 
Oh, okay. I'm glad you brought that up because if uh, my son's also wrestled, and I, I know what uh, that can do and how that toughens guys up and builds character and all kinds of things. Um, so I'm very familiar with that life. Okay. You, did you wrestle all four years? I didn't. I just did it for a couple of years. I was just okay. I wasn't really great. But still. But it was good. It was good. It toughened me up a bunch. Uh, it was definitely like one of those things you look back and you're like, you, some of the things in life where you you, real, you don't realize you're learning when it's happening, but you look back mm-hmm. and you realize how much growth actually happened. And I think wrestling was like one of those pit stops for me, for sure. Ag- agreed. Agreed. And then how'd you decide where to go to school, to college? Well, I, you know, grew up in a, I'd say very regular American um, middle-class family. Okay. Especially with five kids. There wasn't a ton of money for college. You mean, you mean, you mean your folks didn't have five college education funds set aside? <laughs> they did not, but they did contribute, which is great. My grandparents contributed as well. And then I had to contribute as well. That was the same for all my, for all my siblings. And so I, I went to a state school. I went to SUNY Binghamton, Binghamton university. Okay. Great school. I had a, I had a great experience there in upstate New York and got to graduate without too much debt because it was a state. This is back 20, 20 years ago. Now I graduated in, in 2000 when things were actually still substantially cheaper than they are now, which is part mm-hmm. of I think what's driven my whole entrepreneurial career. I mean, things it's tougher for kids nowadays. School's gone up way too much. I um, know it, it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now it's super dope. Now, how far, far away from uh, Albany was that? A little over two hours, like two hours and 20 okay. minutes. All right. Just, just far enough to get away from parents and have a little fun. That's right. That's right. And funny, I didn't even really, ironically, looking back on my life now and how much traveling I've done and starting multiple um, international right. focus companies, right. but I didn't really travel myself at all until after college. Mm. How'd you decide on, on uh, management, I think, was your, was your undergrad? <laughs> I wish I could say it was more planned. Um, I mean, to be honest, freshman year in college for me, uh, was not totally focused on academics. I mean, I learned a lot, but not always in the classroom. Mm, that, um, I, I joke around a lot that I, you know, I say I was an 18-year-old boy and did 18-year-old boy things. I used the word boy on purpose because I was not an 18-year-old man. I had a lot of learning because I didn't think that at the time. I thought that uh, I was, but I had a lot to learn. But that's that's the life path. And, it, and so, the, so the grade point average as a freshman was like a two two five or something. The great, you know, it's funny. I have the very so not too far off from that, by the way. I think I ended freshman year with like a two seven. Okay. And I have, I say this to people all the time. Like I, I've been a good student. I've not been a. I've been the typical entrepreneurial path of a student. Okay. Uh, I graduated college with just barely a three point I think senior <laughs> year I like five, I found a way to get it to three point zero 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 nine. Or it was seriously that it was like three point and then a few zeros <laughs> at the end, and I just made it over the line. But I've typically been that that kind of student who like wants to get the things I want to get out of the class, but isn't as focused on the grades, you know? Okay. All right, cool. All right. And then, so I right, walk us through uh, some of your early career. Cause I know you, you didn't go to grad school right after, right? You, I think you took a job and you had some stuff going on and then, and then you eventually went to grad school out at UC Berkeley. Walk us, walk us through some of that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I went to, I went to grad school a little late. I just turned 31. So I had, I had about 10 years of experience before I went to grad school, which I, I think Personally, I mean, everyone takes a different path, but at least a couple of years of real experience before going to grad school is something I highly recommend. You just get so much more out of it after experiencing the real world and getting mm. you know, that, that first yep. job for all of us that remember that feeling of that first job and you're in it every day. And you're like, there's no summers anymore. There's no break anymore. This is just <laughs> life. I'm right. now working until retirement. 
it's an important experience to have, I think, before going back to grad school. So I, so more specifically about me, um, well, right when I graduated, when I was 22, I did the thing that totally changed my life. Okay. And that, I mean, completely, I look back on it and that was like one of those butterfly effect moments for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I graduated, I went and spent a year teaching English and studying Chinese in Taiwan. Now, how did you decide to do that? Honestly, so I, you know, you asked about what I did, uh, why I chose my major. And it was really just because it was the thing people did at Binghamton. It wasn't really the thing I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to go into management. I certainly didn't want to be an accounting major. Like accounting and getting a CPA, which I ultimately did, is not the path to entrepreneurship. It's not generally the most creative thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I did. And because um, it was kind of the thing that, at that school that people did. And it actually ended up providing me with a tremendous base. But when I graduated, I just... I really dreaded just getting stuck in a nine to five forever. Okay. Okay. I wanted to explore the world. I wanted to travel. I wanted to do some different things before I, you know, was in a full time job. Did you have some friends? Did somebody else go overseas and they're like, Hey man, you got to come do this. This is a blast. Anybody kind of leading you there? Not, you know what? Not, not in my friend group. I had a, um, a cousin, uh, but a generation older than me in my family, Stephanie, Okay. She'd done a lot of traveling in the sixties and I think it really some planted some seeds in me. Okay. All from, right. From her adventures. Now, how did you have the money to do this overseas thing? How did walk us through that? Did you save a bunch of money up or how'd that work? How'd you live? I had zero dollars. I mean, in college I, I worked um, as a Domino's delivery person and sold newspaper subscriptions over the phone just to have enough spending money. Um, I love that. I love that. Let's just take a deep breath right there. Domino's delivery guy while in college ends up becoming a founder of several companies. Love it. Love it. Okay. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, I know. Yeah. I, that's great. I worked throughout all, I had all sorts of odd jobs. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. I got you off. So, so how did you see out? So, so how did you survive overseas? So what I did was, because I couldn't just travel, I didn't have any money, I needed to get a job. Okay. So what I did was I found, uh, I was really looking for teaching jobs in Asia. I thought learning Chinese would be something interesting. Okay. Um, and I'd taken a class in college. So I really, honestly, I don't even think I knew what Taiwan was at the time. <laughs> I knew what China was, but I didn't know the deep political history right. between China and Taiwan. If anyone's curious, look it up on Wikipedia, you'll be fascinated. Okay. Um, and then got a job, you know, just like that butterfly effect of life applied for a few places, a friendly guy, guy Jacob, um, messaged me. We hit it off on an interview and before I knew it, I was in Taiwan. So basically what you can do there for people that don't know, and this is something that's still true, very true today. It's not, not that old, um, is you can really, you can live quite well in Asia in places like Taiwan, South Korea, China, Japan, Thailand, make a good salary at 22 with a degree, um, and teaching English, basically teaching English. So I did that for a year, teaching English and, and studying Chinese. And that year, just like that, that was the year that totally changed my life. I mean, yep. I just knew so much. I didn't even realize that I was growing the way that I was growing, but mm-hmm. um, it really provided like a foundation for me to draw from that I think I, I think I still draw from today. Boy, that travel experience ties right into what you ended up doing for a living the rest of the way almost. Okay. Got it. So that was a, yeah, a pivotal point in your life for sure. All right. So you come back from there after spending a year and you're like, all right, now I get it. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> exactly. So I, I had, and then I did the corporate thing. Okay. I had a job with PricewaterhouseCoopers in Manhattan and I wore a suit and tie every day and I, you, were you, know, super, you hated it. You were super bored. 
I, 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 hate is a strong word. Yeah. But it's true. I think the only caveat is like, I knew I was lucky to have a good job that paid a good salary, but like my, I felt like my soul was dying a little bit every day. There's a joke in my family. I wrote my uncle an email at the time saying that we, I used a lot of Microsoft Excel and I wrote him an email that the, the bars of Microsoft Excel were starting to look like the bars of a jail. I just, <laughs> That's good. That's good. I really did. I remember like having a conscious thought like this. I can't, I can't do this the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. but I did it for three and a half years. Like I paid my dues and it was a great, it was a great foundation for me. Like I think, I think one time, one, one piece of advice I tell people all the time is like your first job, choose carefully and then stay for at least two years. Even if it's it's painful, it's going to be good for you in the long run to force yourself to stay in that. And it's something that's challenging you and a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and if you leave too early that, that, that sets a bad standard for yourself. So I really did stick it out for the three and a half years. Mm. And then at some point the entrepreneurial bug hit you or it had been in there probably, but it's stirring around and yep. 2000, 2005 comes and you're like, Oh, well, I got to do something else. And somehow you, you, you come up with reach to teach, which was your first company you founded, I believe. Uh, tell, tell it, tell us how that, how that happened. How, how did you reach that point? Gosh, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, before even talking about what I did at the company, I always, when I think back then, which is now 15 years ago, I think back on how naive I was at the time, <laughs> what entrepreneurship meant, but also that that naivete was perfect. It was exactly what was needed Good. in my first company at 26. I think I was almost 27 at the time, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I've often reflected that on, on all three of my companies in some ways, actually, that if I knew then what I know now, I would never have done it, but I'm happy I didn't know. <laughs> That's like, good. Of those type of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I remember like having this thought that I wanted to go to grad school then to change my career. And I thought, well, I'll just start this company for six months and then I'll, I'll just run it while I'm in grad school. Okay. One, okay. Course, like, what company can get started in six months and run it part-time in grad school? I just had no idea how all-consuming entrepreneurship and starting a company from the ground up could be. Did you, um, know, I, did you know what you wanted to start? Did you, did you just think, I want to start a company, or you knew you wanted to start this company? Yeah, good, yeah, good question. Boy, no, I, I knew I wanted to start a company. Um, but, but why? Why? Where did that come from? Neither one of your parents were entrepreneurs. That's why I'm wondering where that, where that, how'd that happen? You know, my dad, my dad is, my dad owns his own small CPA. Firm. Oh, whoa, whoa. Okay. So he owns his own firm. Got it. There we go. There it is. All right. <laughs> I, I think to give myself credit, you know, one real gift that my parents gave me, and there's a whole mix of things our parents give us, that's for sure. But I try yes. to talk the positive things is they never tried to hold us back. They always told us that we could. Okay. Could. I know a lot, a lot of, I've learned from dating and getting to know people. A lot of, a lot of parents actually hold their kids back a little bit. And my dad was a really entrepreneurial, open-minded guy who said, like, you can do anything you want to do. And he's very creative. He encouraged creativity in me. And so that, I think that was a real spark for me. Now, I got to ask you, when you talk to him, because I'm assuming you talk to him, you're like, hey, I think I want to start this thing. But you already were a CPA at that point, right? I was. I did. And so you, yeah, so you could have, you could have, you could have worked for his firm. Was he like, was he like? (laughs) Was he like, Mitch, look, just, just come over here and join the family business. You ask really good questions. <laughs> um, that was never my plan. It's funny. He and I will joke around about that a little bit. Now, one, I don't know how well we would have gotten along 
Okay. I think our relationship has come a long way. I think if we were going to work on something now together, it might be okay. Or like just the depth of emotional awareness and the work that we've both done on each other, on ourselves and on our relationship. Okay. As a 25 year old, I, don't, I think it would have been a really bad choice for our relationship. Okay. But you, you danced around it, but didn't really go there. And then, okay. All right, yeah. cool. And so reach to teach. Now that, that, that concept came from your teaching overseas to a certain degree. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You know, I think as I look back on all three um, companies that I started, they all were really problems that I was trying to solve in my own life. That's and, good. Things that I really, I'm, I'm one of those people for, for better and worse that I'll obsess about a problem okay, you know, and I'll just go really deep on it. Like I'm one of those people that will like find, someone will tell me something interesting and then I'll take a dive down a Wikipedia rabbit hole and learn everything I can about that thing. And I try and pick apart the Rubik's cube of the problem until I find a solution. That's particularly true for my new company for Verto Education, which is such a complicated company. Okay. Um, that first company reached to teach was relatively simple. And that, and the problem I was trying to solve there was to think, I thought about that the impact that my experience teaching abroad had had on my life. I thought that it made me just a much, the, the number one thing is I think it made me a lot more respectful of other cultures and other ways of viewing the world mm-hmm. and a lot more grateful yep. for the, the experience we have as Americans, which we don't fully often realize how lucky we are, even in the scope of the world. Like I'll often joke around about like the plains of Africa to today, like the human experience has changed so much in such a short period of time, but because we're in this small little snippet that we are in our lives, we don't realize that we're just part of this larger wave. Mm -hmm. We don't realize that how lucky we are to get Mm -hmm. to often, even if we don't have enough money, but we have often our health and clean food and that's a fresh water, fresh water to drink. Fresh water and food. And like, if, if we can have a sense of gratitude, which I have a real gratitude practice that I try and work on now, a sense of gratitude that food and water and family and love in our life is mm-hmm. enough, then it kind of lets all the other stress just wash off you a little bit. If you so do true. It. So can't true. Do it. I can't always do it. But I think, you know, the, that experience in Taiwan was the beginning of me being able to kind of see that in my life. Good. travel around the world and see actually how a lot of other cultures have a lot less money than us, a lot less achievement mindset of what they need in life, but they're a lot happier. Yeah. And that lesson for me was really poignant in my life to see people who had nothing, but they had love and they had their families and they were happy. And I was really interested in the emotional experience that they had internally, how they can have that. Cause ultimately what is money for? if yeah. not for happiness. Like if it's driving us crazy because we want more and a bigger, better. So I think um, at the time I thought, well, if more people could have this experience, we'd live in a better world. Okay. And so starting Reach to Teach was this idea that um, we could be a screen for good schools on the, on the Asian side um, to screen good schools and also screen the teachers because a lot of times the teachers would come over and not be serious about the teaching and the kids deserve a teacher that cares about them. Um, and, and the teachers, the Americans, these young Americans deserve a school that also cares about them. So we tried to match good teachers with good schools and encourage more people to do it. And that was kind of the, the initial genesis of that idea. And it ended up becoming a really nice little company. And nobody else was doing that. Um, there were a couple other small companies doing it. And then there actually kind of became this explosion of recruitment companies. We were one of them. So if I was a teacher that, and I was thinking, man, I want to go overseas for a year or two, but I have no idea what school to call. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know how to get it set up. Back then when you had reached to teach, they would have just called you and you would have said, Hey, here you go. I'm going to help you through the process. 
That's right. We signed a contract with a school in Asia and they'd say, you, you, like, we trust you, Mitch, and your company reach to teach, to screen the teacher, to interview them and make sure that we're getting a quality teacher. Gotcha. Your side, our promise to the teachers were, because there, there could be at the time, you know, when cultures meet, there's very different expectations. I bet. <laughs> and, and that can be really challenging. Being challenging in this country alone, let alone in a different oh, Right. What, what, that's what RiderFlex spends all our time on, is trying to match personality to culture. I can't, I can't hardly imagine how much deeper you have to go to match the right personality to a culture overseas. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it was hard. It, also did, it didn't always work. <laughs> but your revenue came from the schools. Is that, is that right? That's 100% right. Yeah. So it was, okay. it, was, it was a totally free service for the teachers. So no, not, not a bunch of startup cost other than uh, you, you got some travel and some systems and some, some backend systems and some websites or what, what was your, you know, what it cost you to get it going basically? Yeah, this is fun. I haven't thought about this stuff in a while. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was really, it was a service, it's a services business. And the company's still right. gone. I'm not an owner anymore. My employees own it, but um, ex-employees own it. And um, they do a great job with it. But it was really a simple services company. It's like a recruitment company in the States. I mean, simple model, but hard to execute. Right. Where, right. Just, you know, signing the contracts with the schools, providing a great service for them, caring about what we were doing. And the same on the other side for the teachers. So not a bunch of capital uh, to, to, get started but did you leave did you kind of start it when you were at price price waterhouse and you had still some income or did you just quit there all of a sudden you got no income coming in and you're trying to scramble to get cash to come in to pay the rent what what's the oh <laughs> uh, this flood of memories coming through for me now uh oh no i i took the deep dive i think okay. Uh, I could go really deep at some point. We should, if there's time, I hope you, I, I imagine you always work into like the psychology of entrepreneurship. And what well, well, it, well, the reason I asked that type of question, you know, I mean, I just really believe Mitch, you know, there's so many people that have an idea. They want to be an entrepreneur. They want to yeah. be a business owner. They want it really bad. They think about it all the time, but they're scared, right? They, they don't know like, okay, well, how am I going to pay the mortgage next month? And what happens if I start the business, it doesn't make it. And I drain my 401k and how am I going to pay myself for the next six months? I mean, that's what, that's the reality. And that's, that's what everybody thinks about that wants to start a business. And that's why I'm asking you some of these, because at some point you had to say, I'm walking away from this job to start a business. That's right. And it was a good job, like a really good job. And so I, I took a dive off the deep end. I, yeah, I've often reflected on what make, has made me an entrepreneur. I, I don't necessarily think that I'm um, better at entrepreneurship. I think I'm, there's something in me that allows for the risk. Like once you're in the river, once you take that leap into the river, right. you're just trying to swim. Um, <laughs> I think like somehow I'm willing to take the leap into the river. Maybe other people would be a better swimmer. All right. But you, got, but you got to go on fast enough to eventually survive and put food on the table, pay the rent. You got, you got, That's right. Okay. So, so to answer your question directly there, I, I took a deep dive. I had, no, I had like $5,000 in the bank for my few years in Manhattan. Oh, wow. And, and, and six months in, I mean, I had $15,000, $20,000 in credit card debt. Just, you know, the little things you need to do to get the company off the ground. Right. That was terrifying. I mean, I remember, I can remember like nights looking at the ceiling and really being like, what the F did you do? <laughs> There you go. There you go, listeners. So let's let that sink in. $5,000 of the bank, ran up $20,000 of the credit cards and had some nightmares and, and woke up in the middle of the night. There you go. Welcome to being an entrepreneur. <laughs> but 
Yeah. Jumping fast forward, you built it up. You, so when you ended up selling it, you sold, somebody bought it, right? Is that, is that you had an exit? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it's kind of tied to the next company, Go Overseas. When uh, I tried to solve, solve a problem with, with uh, Go Overseas that I was seeing and, and, and reached to teach. And then as Go Overseas started growing, um, we decide, I decided to sell Reach to Teach My Employees. We're doing a great job, and they were willing to take it over, and I wanted to focus on Go Overseas. So oh, okay. Put, okay. Put the sale with, um, in, in the company. Okay, now, so let me ask you a few questions there. So you saw this other need. You, you founded Go Overseas while you were still at Reach to Teach, and then eventually you're like, okay, I can only do this one thing, and then you sold off your portion of Reach to Teach and, and focused all – okay, okay, got it. Okay. Okay, but now you're a co-founder with Go Overseas. So did somebody from the from from Reach to Teach come with you, or who you who was the co-founder with you? Yeah, we had, we had two co-founders. One one main one, and then our first employee ended up becoming a third co-founder as well. Um, my first company I did on my own, which, okay. which I much prefer having co-founders upon reflection. Just my personal. <laughs> now you didn't. Now hold on. One one quick question: When you exited Reach to Teach, it obviously wasn't enough for you to just retire. It wasn't like this huge giant, you know. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't even life changing. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, everything's in perspective there. But I did. I, I don't mind being pretty transparent about it. I mean, Great. It was a few hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Uh, okay. It wasn't. It wasn't going to change my whole life. Um, had anyway. had had a little nest egg to get go overseas going. Little little bandwidth there. And I spent all of it pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So tell us. So now, yeah, let's get into go overseas. Tell us about the company. Um, you know, just give us the quick overview because it sounds like you're just about ready to exit that now for your third company, if I'm right. Yeah, that one, although that's an extremely, Go Overseas is an extremely stable company now run by my, my co-founders in there and we've got an incredible team, incredible employees. So that, that's just a very stable company and I'm just not in it every day anymore. I'm not the active CEO anymore, but still the primary owner in, in Go Overseas. But I'm really grateful to have just an incredible, incredible team there and, that care deeply about the mission. And for people that don't know the company, just give us the give us the quick overview. Go Overseas is a review and booking website for meaningful travel. So uh, we list basically every program in the world that is a multiple day meaningful travel program. So what that means practically is study abroad, volunteer abroad, internships, gap year programs, high school abroad, language school programs, adventure travel. If you're looking for kind of any program in the world that is multiple day run by an organization, we list it on our site with ratings and reviews so people can make you know, a more informed, educated decision when they're choosing those type of programs. So is that like a, like the, the Yelp for overseas travel programs? Exactly what we say. We're some like combination of a Yelp, a TripAdvisor, an Airbnb style okay. website with reviews and booking. And who, so who pays you? Like who? So yeah. It's the, the organizations that are on our site. It's a free, basically a freemium model that they, any organization and there's like thir- more than people think all that, all those categories I just mentioned, there's, something like 30,000 plus of those programs on our site. So a lot of them, there are a lot of them are just these really neat family run organizations. Most I see. Of them. There's some I bigger see. companies too, but okay. a lot of them are just these really neat companies that care so much about what they do for the, for the world and the projects that they run. And, um, and so they, they'll pay us for basically, you know, to be promoted on leads on the website. Okay. Do a job board, things like that. So if I want to go overseas for just about anything, whether I'm volunteer, volunteering or whatever, Go Overseas can help me. They can help me figure it out. 
That's right. And if you type, we have a million plus visitors a month on the site now. So wow. If you kind of type anything in those categories into Google. Wow. Uh, you'll, you're going to see go overseas, if not number one on the, on the results, but on the top of the, the top of the first page generally. Can I ask you when you went through that, that $200,000, when you went through it to get go overseas going, how, how long did it take before you were actually making good money? Was that, was that the second year? Was that the third year? Like how long did you have to eat ramen noodles is my question. Oh boy. That was, it was extremely, extremely stressful. And and that company almost went down, almost went under a couple of times. And Oof. Now it's extremely stable, but I didn't pay myself a penny from go overseas for three and a half years. Wow. (laughs) Holy cow. Okay. And then after you got it going and started paying yourself, then there were some other times where cash flow got, you're like looking at cash flow going, holy cow, we're going to miss payroll next week. Like that type of stuff. Not really. Really, really was those three first three and a half years. Okay. Okay. The first three years getting, and, and, and each of those years we were growing and getting bigger. Um, but it was just, it's just slow, you know, companies I say this to people all the time. Sometimes people will say, I'm going to do it for a year and see where I am. Right. Um, and I'll think then you maybe don't even bother because it, it is, it takes longer than a year to start a company. And I, that was the whole thing with, with all three of my companies, you know, it takes, especially for non-services based business, like go overseas with it's a platform and that, that takes even longer. Now, so you've, you started that what, 10 years ago, but now you've decided now to venture out and start yet your third company, Verto Education. So tell us, tell us about that. Well, that one's really, it's interesting. I feel like um, kind of the full circle of my life because we're so Verto Education is, mm-hmm. I feel now even after it's, it's amazing that I still have energy left for this. I'll say after 15 years of entrepreneurship, I wonder <laughs> right. about my sanity. Um, like I've made the joke recently that the, the best definition of insanity is someone who started three companies, <laughs> like something <laughs> off, maybe, maybe hopefully in a good way, but in are you, do, 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 yeah. Speaking of all the stress, do you have a family? Are you, or do you have a partner or you, you know, a spouse or, or anything? We have any kind of family, like, you know, in the background going, Hey, why are we doing this for the third time? Is anybody pushing you there? A relationship of any kind? Um, I, I do not have a family and I'll, and I'll be vulnerable and share that I think, you know, at 41, um, starting three companies has not been particularly helpful towards finding a long-term partner. <laughs> right. Right. You try to find a partner. They're like, what are you yeah. doing? So you, so you're not stable with your cash flow, and you have no. <laughs> and even when, when, when I have been, which has been for a while now, I just, I've worked, I've worked too hard. Worked all the time. Yep. You scared a lot of, you scared a lot of people off. <laughs> I, I, there, I definitely, there are some women who, yeah, I don't blame them looking back. I've done personal work the last few years in particular. I think I'm, uh, I've got a better balance in my life, but I'll be honest in just saying that that was very hard. Um, and, and when you care so much about something and you've put so much of your self-worth into it, mm-hmm. I think that's the danger actually that I don't have now anymore. I think for a long time, my entire sense of who I am as a person and my success in the world and, um, you know, the value that I, put on myself in the world was really attached to my success mm. right, and my companies. And I look back on that now as being a growth period that I needed to get through. And I, I really now don't feel that way anymore, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been, actually, it's certainly made my personal life better. And I think it's actually ironically made me a better CEO as well to not have that level of need to succeed being tied to my whole sense of self. Mm, gotcha. Okay. All right. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you very much. So, so now you, how long have you had Verto going a year, year and a half, two years, almost two years. 
And do you have do you have employees there? Yeah, we do. No, I mean we're growing really, really quickly there. I didn't actually answer your question and tell you what we do. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Sorry, give us the overview and the yeah. Go ahead. My fault. I went to the the deeper some of the some of the other stuff rather than talking about what we do. So our our whole goal with Vertel Education is to help transform higher education. And the, the name Vertel actually the root of it is transformation in Latin. And um, look, our perspective, my perspective is this, and this is where the real uh, passion to start Vertel came from. The real mission was higher education needs to change a bit in this country. And the change is coming, by the way. We could get into a deep conversation around how universities mm-hmm. are struggling. They're going to start shutting down, actually. But, you know, the point of higher ed should be how can we create better informed, engaged citizens of our country um, that contribute and that also can get good jobs and be a part of you know, our culture in constructive ways. Mm. And in some ways, their higher ed has, has not done what it needs to do for everybody. I mean, there's especially this gap between wealthy students attending the best schools. Right. And, and right, this yep. access and affordability thing is a big issue. You know, one, one stat there that has been in both scary to me, but also inspiring the work that we do. So it's quite a stat. Some debate about it, but it's close. Okay. 50%. Of the top of the students at the top hundred institutions in the country, so fifty percent of the students who are at the top hundred colleges in the United States are from the top one percent of wealth. Wow! Yeah, that's yep. Yeah. <laughs> the rich keep getting richer, right? And that needs to change. I think ultimately our, our society is healthier when there's opportunity for everybody. I mean, that's part of the American dream. Agreed. Find ways to have everyone have access. This whole idea that right, we're, we we're not held back. By our parents, the parents can come over. This is what the country is built on. People can come over as immigrants, and then their kids have every opportunity that our other kids do. And that was true for a long time. And I think that's not fully true today. And if we don't Agreed. make it true, it's ultimately we are all going to pay the price for it. Everyone, your money or not, should believe in this because the future of the company of the country depends on that. So when I looked at the higher education system and thought these changes need to happen, I thought, well, how can we be? How can we be a part of? Um, the change in that system. And I was really lucky that I understood the system really well through go overseas. Mm. So, so that was the catalyst for it. And, and, uh, and, and, and quite frankly, I feel the passion coming out now, Mitch. I feel it. I feel the passion. I feel it. I, it's, it's evident. Yeah. This is what I'm living every day now. And so, <laughs> so what we really did is, so here's what Verto does. Here's what Verto education does. We run freshman year in college. So mm-hmm. students can spend their full freshman year either one semester or one year with us um, doing their kind of core general ed- education curriculum, like what they would do their freshman year, but in a much more interesting way that is designed to help accelerate growth and independence and emotional awareness and get them ready for college and job readiness and ultimately to succeed in the world, right? This increase of mm-hmm. just grit and resiliency and ability to live independently, which is another whole issue we could get into, like, you know, students not being ready for college nowadays because we protected right. them too much in society in ways that you and I weren't protected as much growing up. That's a conversation we could have if we're interested. It's a whole bunch of big issues here that I love talking about. So we'll, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> so there's, there's kind of three main things that we focus on as in the mission. Of, the mission of what we do is the most important thing. Like every single person in the company, we have 50 people in, at at Verto Education now, right? Every single person cares about this mission and we screen for it with this value-based mission approach. Great. We hire people is, is number one that we give every student that comes through us an accelerated life and academic experience, right? That they're more ready for the world through spending their freshman year with us. Number two, we could actually be a catalyst from getting into a better school than they would be able to get into directly as freshmen. Mm. Partnerships we have with colleges. I see. 
So the, the model is that students apply through us, through okay. our application system. We have 26. Before, before they decide they want to go to USC or whatever. Exactly. Okay. We have 27 co- partner colleges where the admissions flow to those colleges comes through us. So they don't even need to apply to the college at all. I see. All they right. You're abroad with us doing experiential education and service learning in other countries while they're doing their credit. And then they have this guaranteed transfer to these colleges that we work with. They, admission, they don't ever need to apply directly at all. And those are great schools like the University of Oregon, the University of Vermont. I saw that. Bucknell. I mean, we're, we have 27 partner schools and we're really growing quickly there. There's more schools coming on board because they see that what we're doing for students is really improving student outcomes. And that's what education should be about. Like it's supposed yeah. to be about improving student outcomes and giving every single 18 college age kid a chance to succeed in life. That's the whole point of it. Love so, it. Um, Love it. And so then the third part of it is affordability. We're really focused on affordability. I mean, right. system has gotten a bit out of control with pricing. Um, uh, I often make this joke that if an alien came to earth and said, tell me about your education system. I want to see how you educate your young people. <laughs> um, and we described the United States education system to them, it would make no sense because we'd say, okay, well, our students come to college and they pay for not just their college education, but they pay for sports teams, they pay for research, they pay for all these other administrative things. Sometimes we have museums on campus and lazy rivers on campus and big fancy dorms. And there's all these things that are bundled into education. Actually, so statistics are that students out of what students pay for college, only about 15% of what they pay actually goes to things that, that are for them, their educational experience. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. Never heard that stat before. Yeah, right, the other 80 plus percent goes to the things I just mentioned. Okay. And then when we graduate our students now, sometimes the universities even hire them or they go into jobs where they can't even pay off their loans and the salary that they have. <laughs> and, then, and then the universities also ask students to give alumni donations. Right. We do it and we do it. Right. We actually do it um, like it's the hold that, that the university system has on the American psyche is amazing. And also, it didn't used to be that way. Like Even when we went to school not that long ago, um, it wasn't this way. Costs have increased so much. And we're putting this burden on our 18 to 22 year olds and then asking them to carry that burden the rest of our life. It has to change. We need, we need our leadership to do it in constructive ways that has the students, the 18 to 22 year olds best interest at heart. So that's what we're trying to do. So also our, we are very affordable because we're not spending money on anything else but education, right? Every penny that the students pay for us goes to their education and costs surrounding their education. Does it cost more than they, the typical semester? So it's for one semester or is it for the whole year? So they can spend either one semester or one year with us. And, and is the average cost for one year with you less than the average cost for one year at a standard college? It's way more affordable. And way get, more affordable. Okay. And get way more out of it. So our semesters run between $10,000 and $20,000 per semester. Okay. Everything included other than flight. So if you talk about, and then there's a bunch in between. So let's say at a $10,000 or even the $20,000 level, then we sum at fifteen. That's like a third to half of mm-hmm. what college costs. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, a private school now can be $70,000 a year, but even yep. a state school all in um, for tuition room and board can be forty dollars to $50,000. I'm so glad you're clarifying that because when I did study on you and the company before the interview, as soon as I saw the program, I thought, oh, this is great. This is really cool for these, these young people to go overseas and experience this in their lives before college start. 
starts, but I'm sure this is just for rich families. So that was my immediate thought, right? And so I'm so glad you're walking us through this. Okay, great. Yeah, no, actually we have a, so I'm really glad you brought that up. We have a, a extremely core mission that we, that our, our goal is to have this, our education system, Virto, what we do accessible to everybody. That's so we, great, give, we give scholarships as well. Um, students have access to financial aid just like they would at any college. So, you know, we can take a student who, at, at, let's say $10,000 for a semester with the aid that they have access to and scholarships that we can give. It's more affordable, not in every situation, but often more affordable than going straight to a regular college. And then they get into a school, back to the point I was making before, having some of those first-gen students, underprivileged students from certain backgrounds, that they can get access to a school through us. Mm -hmm. Some of these great schools we work with that they never would have been able to get into directly as a Mm -hmm. freshman for a whole host of structural reasons I could go into. So then what we're doing is not only are we changing their life through the semester or year that they spend with us, but we're changing the whole trajectory of their life because they're getting into a better school and they're going to have better opportunities for jobs through our system, through the network that we've created than they ever would have had just right. you know, in the current system. I love it. I mean, what a great idea. What a great program. So nobody else is doing this? I mean, do you have any competition? <laughs> We don't. I mean, I'm sure that that'll happen eventually. And that, you know, invitation is, is the, the, the finest form of flattery. Right. Now, this was an incredibly complicated model to set up. Oh, I bet. I mean, just the relationships with all the schools and everything. I'm just, I'm thinking about that as you're telling me, I'm like, Oh wow. Yeah. This didn't, this didn't get put together overnight. <laughs> but did you, are you bootstrapping it? Did you, did you raise cash? How'd you get it going? So we bootstrapped it the first year and a half. Okay. Uh, which was the same experience I had the first couple of times, an unbelievable amount of work. You, you, like, you, like, you like putting yourself through hell and waking up in the middle of the night with very little cash in the bank. You, you like doing that to yourself. <laughs> I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I like it. Uh, I'm accustomed but, my mind and my body to but you, so, so you bootstrapped it for a little bit. Did you raise some seed, seed money recently? We, we just raised um, a significant round of capital. Um, oh, okay. To so that, that is really exciting and ultimately, you know, really important for the mission. Um, is, being able it, to is that your first experience at asking somebody to write a check? It is because I bootstrapped my last two companies and it was a totally brand new experience for me. And boy, was it a whirlwind. <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet that was an experience. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause I know that that's a whole different topic, right? When we get into what it's like to ask, ask people for money. Um, I'm guessing it didn't happen on your first conversation. <laughs> No, no, but it did happen pretty quickly, actually. Um, but no, I, I did, you know, 70 meetings, something like that. 70 meetings. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that, put, that, that puts it in perspective. I hope, I hope you didn't have to give up control. Uh, are you still, are you still, are you still making the decisions? <laughs> yeah, totally fair question. No, we, we, uh, absolutely. We're still in control and uh, Great. we really picked, we, you know, thankfully at the end, we had a lot of choices um, and investors to go. Oh, great. Okay. Good job. Great job. All right. Awesome. And um, um, actually the, the one we chose uh, is first round capital and um, they're, an, they've been amazing. One of the reasons we went with them is that they so believed in our mission um, and what we're doing that it's not just something to, to make a profit, but that our mission to serve, we're actually a B corporation. Okay. So okay. A value-based organization that is not just beholden to profit, uh, that our mission is to serve students to, and to improve the educational experience of every student, and they're aligned with that. You great. know what? I, I, I have no doubt that you had options on cash because, first of all, 
Um, and I'm not an angel investor, but I, I know a lot of them. And I can just tell you, just talking to you, first of all, the passion that you have for it, that's number one. The passion and the energy that you have for the topic and your, and your knowledge around the topic and your past experience where you've proven that you will kill yourself to get companies going and started and, 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 and that they'll make it. Like just your track record combined with your passion, combined with the fact that it's a great idea with very little competition. No wonder you had offers for cash. I think it's great. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I really, that is meaningful to me, but I'll also say that, um, you know, money is just a means to an end. It doesn't, right. it's not a, it's not a victory in and of itself. And there's increased pressure when you raise money. That too. But if you don't have to raise money, um, and it's not a VC backed idea, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, by, by the way, was it an angel or VC or PE or what, what can you share that or? It, it was, is a VC. Um, okay. I, I mentioned their name first round capital. They oh, that's right. Phenomenal. I mean, truly, truly they're one of the best. And I, I really, really no. partner with their Finn Barnes and, and people there have been amazing. I mean, they really like treat their companies like a family. Nobody's uh, calling, nobody's calling you to ask you about a line item on the, on the income statement. <laughs> no, no. And they, they just, they trust us and they believe in the mission of what we're trying to do. And we have an amazing group of angel investors that have deep experience in education and believe the system needs to change, believe in our, our way of changing the system and our model and how, you know, the increase in um, access and affordability. So um, yeah, it's been, I mean, look, there's, I'm sure there's going to be catching me at an interesting time because we actually just finished that last month. Um, so great job. It's going to be quite, quite a ride, but um, we're, we're up for it. Great job. I know we're getting close to the end. I, I get, you got time for a couple more questions. I'd like to ask you a couple sure. of wrap ups if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Uh, so what, what would be the biggest piece of advice you would give to somebody that wants to start their own company and, and they're just, they're scared and they just haven't taken the plunge? What would you tell them? You know, it's actually an easy answer for me, but it might not be one people hear a lot. I'm not sure, but, and it's one that took me over 10 years of um, entrepreneurship to figure out the emotional journey is as important as the intellectual building a company journey. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, the, starting three companies has been quite the emotional journey for me. I bet. Uh, you know, you, you, looking failure in the face a lot, which I think every entrepreneur does, mm. um, the impact that it has on family relationships and romantic relationships and friendships um, and it's not like the kind of thing that happens overnight. So you often don't see it happening. Right. It's like, it's like looking in the mirror every day and not seeing yourself get older or gain weight. Um, it's like all of a sudden you wake up one day and you just realize like it happened slowly, but this is my whole life mm. right now. Mm. And um, I, I think, I think just it's going to happen whether you are prepared for it or not. It's just part of the thing. Like some things in life you just need to experience, but I think, being um, having a practice of a deep of a relationship with yourself um, and getting to know yourself a little bit better and being vulnerable with yourself and other people about the emotional journey, having those outlets is absolutely critical mm. um, or, or you will burn out. Um, and, and like I, I have looked burnout in the face and, seen it. <laughs> and I would have burned out if now I didn't have a better relationship with myself. Most importantly, I, and I have meditation practice. That's been really important to me. It's been transformative for my life and not a non-religious. It's funny when I used to hear people talk about meditation, I think that what's this like religious. It's not at all. It's just like in America, we, 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 we work out our bodies 
physically. And I used to be someone that was, you know, worked out in the gym and kept myself in physical shape a lot. But we don't work out our minds. And meditation is ultimately like working out your mind. It's just mm. a deeper awareness of what's happening in our minds. And I really highly recommend some level of that for people starting the entrepreneurial journey, ultimately just to enjoy the journey. And, and ironically, if your whole life is not dependent on the success, but you're still giving full forth effort, it's, it's a much more enjoyable journey. Mm-hmm. How about, how about uh, some quick advice for first time CEOs? All of a sudden they started a company, they're the CEO and they have 10 employees and they've never even been a supervisor before. <laughs> uh, wait, I, I'd say there's two quick things that come to mind. One is find a coach, um, you know, a, 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 someone who, and this for me early days, so lucky to have people around me that uh, could help me manage the experience. Like I could go to them. It's, you know, the entrepreneurial fraternity, it's like you, you could, you could have a great relationship with your wife or your husband. Um, but no one understands the entrepreneurial journey, like another entrepreneur. So you need at least a couple of them in your corner that you can talk to. Totally. Um, and, and also I think optimize for employees that understand that you're not perfect and that you're vulnerable with and understanding you don't have all the answers. Um, and share that a little bit. Like don't try to be the hero. Be really vulnerable about things you know and don't don't and don't pretend. Be honest with yourself and everybody about what you're good at and you need help with, uh, and that that will really really help. And there's a temptation to want to think you, you, that you need to be the expert in everything. You need to know the best. I, I've ultimately become better as I've been able to be more vulnerable with my employees and people around me. That's great. That, that's great advice. Great advice. Two more last questions. I'll make them fast. If you could call your 21 year old self today and get. <laughs> And give that person any advice, uh, you know. Let's say, you know, the 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 kid coming out of, uh, uh, you know, undergrad. You know, I'm guessing oh, you're 20, yeah. 21 at the time. Would would what would you tell that young man today? Twenty two, yeah. Oh my god, you know, it's interesting. Like, there's a lot I'd tell him, but also maybe it all needed to happen in the order that it needed to happen. And you know, okay. I, I made a lot of mistakes and learned so much along the way, and I wouldn't change it. Like enjoying that. I, I, I typically have been the type of person to be extremely hard on myself. Okay. I, I, it's like I've, I've talked to my therapist, which is also something that I recommend. By the way, meditation and therapist are two words I hear pretty often when I'm talking to a founder or a CEO, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, but go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I think you know. There's a quote. Someone. I'm not going to get it right exactly recently. Um, but I can. Let me actually. You can give me one second. Yep, yep. Really yeah. Yep. I talk. You know, as I as I talk to uh, uh, founders that that have uh, been in been in it for three or four or five years, they they all almost all of them talk about some form of having a coach or meditation or something to exercise their mind. So I was really glad you brought that up. But uh, go, yeah, go ahead. You got the quote? I do. Thank you. I, this really uh, resonated with me recently. And the quote is, what is a hero? Someone who has lived through pain and trauma and helped others because of it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So like, uh, I, think I like it. A lot of times I, entrepreneurs or people want to be, a hero. I like it. We want to hide our own traumas or um, right. pain we've gone through in life. But actually if, if, we can help other people because of it. That's a, uh, that's the best way to go. And, um, and that's the way, like the, the idea of servant leadership, which I've not always been good at. I've often been terrible at, 
Mm. But I, it's the way I try to be now, and I still don't always do it, but it's my goal. If, is that your – how would you define your core purpose in a sentence or two? Is that pretty close? Definitely. I, I, think, I think before my core purpose for my first two companies, honestly, was like – I, it was it was still mission driven, but I think it was probably a little bit more ego driven mm-hmm. than like this idea of like achievement in this American mindset of like achievement and materialism and individual success. And now I view it as as like that that, that the best thing we all need to do is create a better society, and we all benefit from that. And and that that's the goal. And that I actually, ironically, I think when I connect with people in that way, and I see the impact on students, especially with Verto now. I get a lot more joy out of that. Like personally, I feel a sense in my body and in my heart, a lot more joy from that kind of impact than I do from a monetary success. You know, I got to tell you, Mitch, you're super authentic and I really appreciate, I really appreciate it. I mean, you're passionate, you're authentic, you're real. And uh, I, I love that. I mean, there's just nothing fake about you. Uh, and, and that means a lot to me. I'm, I'm glad to know Mitch Gordon, trust me. Some super inspirational stuff, my man. Thank you so much for, for sharing everything. I know we're, we're about four minutes over, and I could keep you for another hour probably. <laughs> um, some really good stuff. Appreciate you uh, sharing everything on the Rider Flex podcast. Um, so for the listeners, just real quick, um, is it just, uh, you know, I just want to look and see, is it uh, for, the, for the website for Virto Education? Um, what's the, uh, is it virtoeducation.org? That's right. Yep. Okay. That's right. okay. And if they're interested, just go to the website. Yeah, that's right. And I'd say, you know, a lot of ways we think we're doing is creating a movement. And when people hear about what we're doing, they like, get really excited about it. They feel they want to be a part of that movement. And so we're, we're hiring quite a bit actually right now, especially in, awesome. our, in our Portland office um, and people who are passionate about changing higher education, which a lot of people are great with us and tell, tell people about us and just find ways to engage with us. We love it. Actually, we respond to everything. I signed up to all the social media sites this morning, matter of fact, when I was doing my education on it. You're yeah, seeing, seeing the, uh, you know, what I do, our, our students, they're all around the world right now. You know, they're all around the world and doing these, these projects while they're learning. And that, that, and they're on Instagram. You can see that on Instagram. That's the yep. most, like, see, seeing the impact on the kids. That's great. I love what you're doing, my man. Congratulations on everything. Mitch, thanks so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. Really appreciate the time. And uh, I've done a bunch of these kinds of things. And this was, uh, went the deepest from like a human experience perspective. So I really appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Appreciate it. Take care, sir. Have a great weekend. All right. Bye-bye. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.